personal joy and privilege for me, and uh, Gary's been able to speak here a few times, and people always love him and, and enjoy him, and uh, I, I just believe we have such a wonderful kindred spirit, and he's actually one of my bosses, and uh, Jim Plummer, as you know, is one of them, and, and Gary is, but he doesn't really act like a boss, but he's one of those people that oversees the churches, uh, about 130 churches in, in the Pacific region, uh, Oregon, Washington, uh, California, Idaho, Utah. We're praying for someone to go to Hawaii. And uh, so he, he oversees all those pastors and churches. And uh, uh, for him and I, we're just, uh, he comes not as my boss today, but he comes as my friend. And uh, that's the, probably the greatest thing that I can say about him and our relationship. And uh, I, I don't have a lot of guest speakers, contrary to what people think. Um, but when I do, it's people that I have relationship with. And I can say that about Gary today. And so I'm going to ask you to welcome Pastor Gary Emery with a great Creekside welcome. Love you, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Well, good morning. It's good to be here. I love coming here. You know, I get to travel around a bunch, as you might guess, and get to be in a lot of different churches. I was just telling Trina that uh, a few weeks ago I was in, get this, we have a Hungarian speaking church in Hollywood. That's like two different worlds away, you know. It's uh, just amazing. And I don't speak, I told them, I don't speak Hungarian, but I do get hungry. So that's, you know, that's close enough. And then I'm with a pastor in, a, in, in Alaska that's ministering to some of the poorest, uh, some of the poorest of the poor in our nation are actually in some of the rural areas up in Alaska. And, and uh, it's just so interesting and it's so much fun to be with you guys. I, I know and love uh, Terry and Trina. We've been connected with each other clear since, since Bible college days and we've kind of in different ways have stayed in touch and uh, I called Terry the other day about some stuff that happened. Oh, by the way, th- and what he said, thank you so much for yesterday. You guys were awesome. Uh, we've been busy uh, helping our churches and some things, and, and you guys have been a big part of that. But uh, I called him the other day, and uh, I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm holding my grandson for the first time. I'm in the hospital. And I, f- I felt bad that I'd called them, but, but we had just got our grandson about three months ago. So it's just, this is a good gig, this grandparent thing. People have told me that it's good, but I, I'm really enjoying it. It's been really fun so far. Um, but we'll see. No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I but uh, we're working together and partnering to see God do stuff to touch people that don't know Jesus. I mean, that's just, that's what it's all about for us. And uh, we're in a process with about 40 of our churches now that, that are really working hard at helping their churches not become inward-focused because it's so easy to get kind of focused on ourselves. And there's, there's nothing worse than, you know, than, than, than people that get focused on themselves, you know? And to be able to be focused on the people that need Jesus and don't know Him yet is just a great thing. And We've got a whole bunch of new churches going, and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's, I, I probably enjoyed this last year more than any year of my life in ministry. That's <sighs> a lot of hard work, too, and I'm off work today, so. We're not going to talk about it. Let's talk about our hobbies instead, okay? How many have hobbies? Raise your hand, okay? How many are in desperate search, men especially, men in desperate search of a hobby? Okay. How many women are, indefinite, are really in, in, in a diligent search for a man who's in search of a hobby? Okay. 
my wife has hobbies all over the place, and I drive her crazy because I haven't really had too many of them. But I have one now. In fact, I have a couple. I collect country western music song titles. <laughs> it's not much, but it's the best I can do, okay? How many are into country western music? Raise your hand, raise your hand, okay? Yeah, not me, not me, I don't. Sorry, I, I was a 60s rock and roll guy. I mean, that's just kind of what I do. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you this, the truth about, about country music. Country music beats rock and roll every time when it comes to their song titles. Okay? So I got a few for you. Some of my favorites. Here they are. Her teeth were stained, but her heart was pure. How can I miss you if you won't go away? <laughs> I changed her oil. She changed my life. <laughs> I don't know whether to kill myself or go bowling. Now, I don't get that one. I like bowling. Is that a bad thing? I flushed you from the toilets of my heart. <laughs> kind of romantic, isn't it? If my nose were full of nickels, I'd blow it all on you. My <laughs> uh, executive pastor, pastor now at Calvary, his favorite song, I didn't mention this, his favorite song, he'd sing it during staff meetings if something happened, was Drop Kick Me Jesus Through the Goalposts of Life. You know that one, right? If you don't leave me alone, I'll find someone else who will. You probably met somebody like this next one. Velcro arms, Teflon heart. <laughs> You're the reason our baby's so ugly. I, I just, that's cruel on multiple dimensions. I'm so miserable without you, it's like having you here. <laughs> this guy's quite a poet. I, I stuck my heart in an old tin can and shot it off a log. Mama, get the hammer. There's a fly on Papa's head. That's it. I also collect uh, uh, bumper stickers. Now, I don't, I don't, you know, I just write them down when I see them. I, I don't, to my knowledge, I can't ever remember putting an actual bumper sticker on my car. I know in our uh, church I pastored for a long time up in Oregon, um, there was a, a church down the street that I guess they gave out to all their members because you'd see them around town. It said, follow me to First Baptist Church or whatever it was. Man, I thought I would never put a bumper sticker like that on my car because I love our church too much for that. I mean, you know, this is my, well, this is, my driving is improving. But, it's, uh, but so these are some of the ones that I found. Here's the first one. Look out, I drive just like you. <clears throat> Love him like a king, train him like a dog. Uh, I noticed there was a single woman in that car. I didn't see any guy. This person's extre extremely philosophical. It's kind of scary to think about where they came up with this thought. Like a roll of toilet paper, life goes faster toward the end. They sat there and figured that thing out, didn't they? <laughs> this is one of my favorites. 
Live in such a way that some preacher doesn't have to lie about you at your funeral. Lord, if I can't be skinny, at least let my friends be fat. How about this one? What if the hokey pokey is what it's all about? And here's my favorite. Just where are we going, and why am I in this handbasket? You ever feel like that? You know, I, you know, I know that for people who know God, I know we're on our way to heaven. But does it sometimes feel like on the way to heaven you have to go through, well, I couldn't say it as a kid, you know, heck, you know, or whatever it was. You, know? you, you kind of have to take a ride in the handbasket from time to time. How many know what I'm talking about? You spend some time in the handbasket. You go through those times where life is just really, really difficult. And right now, and I'm not a negative person. In fact, I tell our pastors, these are great days for, for, for the life of the church. Because right now, in our country, people are desperate. Because they've, they've trusted in the God of money, and all of a sudden that, that, that God's kind of shaky. Now all of us, if God is our God or if money's our, all of us got to traffic in money. All of us got to deal with money. So, so we feel those pressures from time to time. You know, up in Oregon where I live, about one out of every eight adults is out of work right now. That's heavy. That means that you're either have lost your job or you're trying to help somebody you know and love who's lost their job and or you're worried that maybe you're going to be the next one losing their job. That's just on the financial realm. Then, if you, if you watch too much news on TV, I, listen, I've learned, you know, we used to watch, there used to be like a half hour news show when I was a kid. Now we got 24 hour news, you know, cable news. So you can watch, if you watch that stuff too much, it can be kind of a heavy thing. It, 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 can, be, it can be like a handbasket for you. Because you look at what's going on, you think, and this is not a political statement, Okay? It doesn't really matter. You know, we're all in this uh, big ship together here. But you think, all this money that we're printing up and spending, and, and who's going to pay for all this? Not me. I won't live that long. We need to have lots of grandkids so they can pay for all this stuff. You know? You think, well, where's all this going? You know? Think about the things on the international scope. And I try to look at stuff that's going on internationally, and I read, like, even the stuff in, in Daniel and Revelation. I'm trying to piece it all together, and I, I haven't got it all figured out, but I know this. I know that we live in some times that are, are potentially very scary. Some of us grew up in the 50s and 60s having those drills where we would hide under our desks, which I thought was really weird. I thought, this desk is going to save me, you know, from nuclear war right here, you know. But we live in times that it can feel like we're, we're in that handbasket. And sometimes, as people who know God, we can adapt an attitude that says, you know what, I don't, I don't have to go through stuff like that. I'm not going to have those times. And you know what, you are. You and I are going to go through those kinds of times. And we're going to ask ourselves, what is going on? 
where am I and how did I get into this handbasket? Maybe the handbasket for you is not about big news stuff over there. Maybe it's about your family. Maybe, maybe you're going to, through kind of a, a family purgatory time, you know. Maybe some of you men would say, you know what, my wife has become a nag, a hag, and a bag. Don't say that out loud, by the way, because you get whipped with your purse, and you should. Maybe some of you uh, gals are saying, you know what, my, my husband is lazy and he's driving me crazy. Okay. Or your kids. Got two kids, one grown, told you about another one that's 16. You know how Scripture says in the book of Proverbs that your children, if you're a godly man, your children will, will rise up and call you blessed You know, I go and wake my 16-year-old for school. I'm cheery. I'm nice. I'm kind. He hardly ever wakes up and said, Good morning, Father. You're so blessed. It's a blessed day to have you, you know, around. Hardly ever happens in my house. And you go through stuff. You go through stuff in families. How did I get here? You know, it was, it was Lynn Anderson. Okay, now listen. All you people that, that are feeling a little bit bad because I teased you about your country western music, okay? Especially gals, this is your moment, okay? This is your moment to shine. It was Lynn Anderson who sang this. I beg your pardon. Come on. I never promised you a rose garden. Lynn sang that, but Jesus, Jesus could have written that. Because Jesus said, you will go through tough times. It's Paul McCartney. All the 60s rockers guys. I'm just proud that that guy's still kicking it. You know what I mean? He's still out there doing the stuff. He was the guy that sang, Yesterday, come on guys. All my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. See, I saw some of the ladies just kind of looking at their husbands and that's about, talking about you. That's you. Yeah. But you feel like that. You go through those times and Jesus said, on this earth, you will have tribulations. You'll, you'll spend time in the handbasket. It's Coldplay, who re recently sang... I got to... If you don't know who Coldplay is, then you're older than me, probably. I know because i got a teenager, okay? It's good music, by the way. In fact, here's one of our family purgatory issues, is that I actually like my kid's music. And so he's playing it, and I'm kind of learning the stuff, and we're riding in the car, and I, all of a sudden I'm singing one of his songs, and he turns, he turns the thing off, he looks at me and says, Dad, don't sing the songs that I like! <laughs> so I'm not going to sing this one, okay? I'm not going to sing it. But listen to this. It says, this is what Coldplay said. They said, I used to rule the world. Seas would rise when I gave the word. Now in the morning, I sweep alone. I sweep the streets. I used to call my own. I used to roll the dice, feel the fear in my enemy's eyes. Now, and listen as the crowd would sing, the old king is dead. Long live the new king. One minute I held the key, the next the walls were closing in on me. And I discovered that my castles stand upon pillars of salt and pillars of sand. There was a day when I, when I ruled the world, but now I just, I just sweep the streets.
People, there's going to be times in this life where you go through that stuff. And people then and now, here in this time and in our time, we're all the same. I, how many grew up going to church? Okay, did you? I, mean, I grew up going to church. And, and I, I would tend to put some of these Bible personalities as somewhere kind of hanging between heaven and earth. I mean, there was, there was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the angels, and then there were, you know, these prophets and apostles. And, and, and I understood all that, but I kind of put them in a, in a world that they were somehow different than all of us. You know, it says in the book of James, it talks about a man named Elijah. And in fact, it's listed in your bulletin as a scripture that you should, should learn to memorize. But I want to pick on a part of that passage that we don't usually notice. It's in the second part of that passage where it says that Elijah was a man just like us. Say those three words with me, would you? Just like us. And that's honestly, when you look at Elijah's life, sometimes it's kind of hard to believe that, that he's just like us or that we're just like him somehow because he was this powerful guy that would do these incredible spiritual things. He was a guy that at his word, when he spoke it, a drought hit the nation of Israel. And it stayed that way until he said the drought's over and God would respond. He was a guy that, that would, would say a prayer and God would raise somebody that was dead. He was a guy that, that had no fear. He, he'd, he'd get into the faces of evil kings and evil queens and he would, be, he would speak like a prophet from God. And I look at that and I thought, he's just like us. But then I look at the rest of the story. The Scripture is always very careful for us to see not only the great achievements of its heroes, but the humanity of them as well. And that's what gives all of us mortals hope. Right? Because we also read that when Elijah got himself overloaded, we had too much pressure on him, he'd been too, through too many things, he got to a place in his life where he was... I, I would say he was probably clinically depressed. A, a doctor would have to make that, that determination. But reading the way he was responding, the way he spoke about himself and about life and about God, the guy was, the guy was at the end of his life. He, he, he was even talking suicidal things. This is this guy that just calls down fire from heaven just a chapter later. He doesn't know if he's going to survive the day. He, he, he's ready to be done with life. So maybe he is just like us. Because we all go through that stuff. No matter how mature we are, no matter how spiritual we are, none of us are good enough. You know, remember playing dodgeball when you were a kid, you know? And we try to dodge. And a lot of you, we go through life trying to dodge every difficulty, and nobody's good enough to dodge all that stuff. We're going to go through things like that. We're going to be in the handbasket. Well, we're going to look at this Elijah superhero, but very human guy, in just a second. And so go ahead and turn your Bibles to First, uh, uh, first Kings chapter 17. Actually, we'll have it up here as well in just a moment, but to go ahead and grab it there. Um, as you look at this passage, you've got to understand where you are in the history of Israel. Israel, God created them as a unique people. He set up their government as a theocracy, which meant that God was in charge. He had priests and prophets that did different things, but it was, it was God was in charge. 
They were unique, but they didn't want to be unique. They wanted to be like everybody else, which is a sad commentary on humanity. God wants us to be unique, but we want to be like everybody else. So they said, we want a king, we want a queen, we want to, you know, we want to have the armies marching, and we want to have the big uh, thrones and, and the castles and all that kind of stuff like everybody else. So God gives them what they ask for, and it uh, has some good moments. You know, Saul started out good, didn't do so well. David was a great king, kind of the gold standard for kings. After David came Solomon. Solomon had all the wealth and the wisdom and peace during his time. But then things began to unravel. And from 1 Kings chapter 11 through 16, you find a couple things. First of all, the kingdom splits after Solomon. There's a northern kingdom of Israel, a southern kingdom of Judah. And from 1 Kings 11 through 16, you just have this, this litany, this, this revolving door of, of kings, some of whom were good, some started out good, turned evil. A lot of them were just evil from the beginning. And when you get to about chapter 16, we're, we're dealing with the bottom of the barrel in terms of morality, ethics, and spirituality when it comes to the king uh, of, of Israel. The guy named Ahab up in the northern kingdom. And he was bad enough, but the difficulty was that he had a wife that was uh, Queen Jezebel that was probably worse. And that's true. The Scripture describes Ahab this way. He said, He did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any who were before him. And that says a lot. These guys were, you know, making, they were taking their children as, as burnt sacrifices to these false gods. It's horrible stuff that they would do. So, into that scene, God sends this man, just like us, Elijah, who he's called for this particular moment. And I want us to look at the stuff that Elijah went through just because he was obeying God and following God. Why don't you stand with me, and we'll read it together out loud. Go stand with me, please. It's a long passage, but uh, we'll read through it. And then I just want to talk about four real simple handbasket realities. Okay, so when you're in the handbasket, I hope these things will help you. Maybe you're there now. We'll see. Let's read it together. Verse 1 all the way through 16. Ready? Go. Now Elijah was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, 
I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her son continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. You may be seated. All right. Take your little note sheet out, and I want to talk about four handbasket realities. Maybe you're going through it right now. Maybe you've just gotten through it. Maybe it's down the road a little ways. I just want you to have these tucked away so that when you get there, you'll remember these things. Number one, there are at least three ways into the handbasket. There may be more, but there's at least three ways that we get ourselves into that handbasket. The first one is just dumb stuff we do. Dumb stuff we do. Most of the time for me, when I'm in a mess... It's because of dumb stuff that I have done. I made a short-sighted choice. I think about the moment and I don't look down the road. I make a decision maybe based on poor motives. You ever wonder about how many decisions you've made and you weren't even conscious of the, of the psychology around what you just did, but maybe you're trying to prove something to yourself from your childhood or prove all the stuff that we do, you know? Or, or we make decisions uh, during times that our emotions are not trustworthy. I don't know about you, but I don't have to work very hard at making dumb decisions. They just kind of come naturally for me. Which probably gives you lots of confidence in your leaders here, doesn't it? Uh, well, at least I admit it, you know? I have a whole chapter in, in my book on on. on on old cars. That's my other hobby is, is old 60s cars. Getting them, fixing them up, and, you know. So I have a whole chapter on, on cars that I bought that my wife didn't want me to buy that actually caught on fire as I was driving them home. That's happened several times to me. And I'm not joking about that. Dumb stuff we do. Second way we get in the, habit, in the hand basket is not stuff that we do, but it's, it involves people that we're tethered to. It's who we're tethered to. Sometimes it's not what we decide to do or the action that we have just taken. It's about the person that we're connected to. I mean, if you study all of Ahab's life, this evil king, you're going to find that there were some times in Elijah, at least two times, that he was just on the edge of doing something really good for once. It looked like he was going to have a redemptive moment. And then Queen Jezebel kind of jerked his chain, and he went right back to that evil thing that he had done. 
I've got a friend that uh, when he just came out of, graduated from uh, Oral Roberts University years ago and in business, he went into business with his uncle, who was a very sharp, big, you know, money guy, all kinds of ideas. And, and my, my friend went to work for him. Make a long story short, his uncle had all kinds of great ideas. Unfortunately, some of them were not legal. And he ran a penny stock, uh, uh, kinds of a, kind of a Ponzi scheme thing where there were all these promises and then a bunch of, you know, kind of a Bernie, Bernie Madoff Jr. type thing. And my friend, who's a good man, was and is a good man, because he had tethered himself to his uncle in business, he came this far from going to prison with his uncle. Who was tethered to? I'm going to sound a little bit parental and a little bit preachy right now, but I want to speak especially to all the gals here that are not married yet, particularly high school gals, college gals, maybe some that are older than that. If you marry, I want you to really think not just about how gorgeous the guy is or how exciting his personality is, because those things tend to change, you know. I want you to look at this guy and say, can I trust this man that I can be tethered to him for my future and the future of any children that we'll have down the road? Because marriage is one of the strongest tethers that there are in life. Extraordinarily important. And sometimes we get into trouble just because we've tethered ourselves in the wrong way to the wrong people. But then there are some stuff that isn't about stuff we do. It's not really about being tethered. It's just stuff that's tidal. T-I-D-A-L. Tidal. It's like the tides. It's bigger than all of us. You go to the ocean. You watch the tide go in. The tide comes out. The, 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 the tide goes up. The tide goes down. It doesn't matter how big your boat is. You still go up and you still go down. It doesn't matter how great of a captain you are. You still have to live with the tides. I would suggest that right now, economically, we're in some tidal issues. In their time, a recession was spelled D-R-O-U-G-H-T. Think about it. They're an agrarian society. They had no way of, of uh, taking care of their crops except by rain. They didn't have any way of, of doing irrigation like we do today. So when the heavens would dry up, when rain stopped coming, they were in a drought and a drought always led to famine. Because again, they didn't have ways of freezing food, keeping things processed like we do today. So it was severe, it was immediate, and when everybody's hurting, the supplies go pretty quick. And it was in that environment that this story takes place. And what's weird about this to me is that if there was one guy, and there was probably more, and I'm sure there were, but if there was one guy that was godly and maybe didn't, quote-unquote, deserve to go through this, this God-set drought, it was Elijah. I mean, to me, it should have been Elijah speaks the word, and then for Elijah, everything's peachy keen, he has no struggles. But guess what? That's not the way life is. Rain falls on the just and the unjust. And the opposite's true too. Drought comes on the just and the unjust. So he goes through this thing while Israel's going through this thing. It's a tidal issue. And he finds himself in this handbasket. So 
there are at least three ways that you get into it. Second one, real quick, is that God uses handbag, hand, handbag, handbasket seasons to work in our character. Why is it that we somehow have to learn lessons the hard way? I would rather just learn by my daily devotions, the books I read, through observing life, through my mentors and coaches. But sometimes I get to learn the most important lessons in life by going through really difficult things, things that are of a high degree of pressure or a high degree of irritation. And sometimes that's the very thing that God uses. That's what happened in Elijah's life. God took him to a place called Kareth Brook. Or you might see in some translations, it says Kareth Ravine. It's just describing the area. The word Kareth means cutting. It's the place where this brook cut through the rock and created this area that was a place of provision for Elijah during this time. So there he is. Think about this. There's Elijah by himself alone at the cutting place. I would suggest that uh, all of us find ourselves by that same brook from time to time. We're, we're at, the cutting, at the cutting place alone where, where, where God is chipping away at things in our life that aren't really beautiful. Michelangelo, the great sculptor of his day, was asked by someone, how do you do this? I mean, I'm, I'm married to an artist, and I tell you what, I am still amazed at what artists can do. Those of you who have that gift, it's, it's an amazing thing to those of us who don't have it. And for him, and to think about, like, David and all the different sculptures that he made. They ask him, how do you do that? This is what he said. He said, I look at that piece of rock or marble, that stone, and I see the man inside the stone. And then I begin to chip away at everything that isn't the man so that I can free the man from the stone. And isn't that exactly what God is doing in our lives? While we sit sometimes alone in that place, yeah, our needs are being met, but it's a lonely place. And there's a lot of cutting and chipping going on. And God is using pressure in our lives in a very similar way to what happens with a piece of coal that's under pressure for a long time that becomes a diamond. Or for, or, or like, or like a little piece of a, a little grain of sand that that gets inside of that shell, and it is irritating to that oyster, and it begins to secrete this uh, this uh, liquid to to put some uh, barrier between itself and this little piece of irritating sand, and it's in that process that those pearls are formed. It's an irritating thing that creates something beautiful. Listen, folks, that's what God is doing in us all the time. 
and we don't like it. It feels like we're in the old handbasket. But sometimes, just like Elijah, you have to stay there. I, I, you know, Elijah watched that brook begin to dry up over time. And I'm sure that he was scratching his head and wondering, is this, should I just go? I mean, it's going from, from a brook down to a stream to, to kind of a little trickle. But you stay there. You stay where God puts you until God gives you the direction to leave. Which takes us to handbasket reality number three. And that is this. Remember that God is always your provider. Always. But accept the fact that during your lifetime, He will change the delivery system many times. There was a day when God said to him, Get up. You're done here. I've commanded a woman in Zarephath to feed you. Now, until that moment, for him to leave, that would have been disobedient because you obeyed the last thing God told you to do. But after that moment, it would have been disobedience for him to stay. He could have said, I don't want to go talk to a woman. She's a foreigner, and it's humiliating. This is degrading. I'm supposed to be the man of God. I'm not leaving this place. You know what? If he wouldn't have left the place, he would have died right there. God was always his provider, but at different times in Elijah's life, he changed the way that he provided. And guess what, folks? He's done that for all of us in this room. Have you noticed that even though God's been the provider, he's used different people throughout your lifetime to sign your paycheck, even if it was you. He provided you customers when you started your own. It was always God. He just provided it in different ways. And sometimes when God is in the process of changing how He provides for us, it can be a bit unnerving, you know. But there's an old saying, that change is inevitable, but misery is optional. And rather than fighting and fussing and fuming and whining and complaining and being filled with worry and fear and dread, what if we just prayed a little prayer like this? It's not a magic prayer. I don't believe in magic praying. I believe in honest praying. But what if we prayed something like this? God, you have always been and always will be my provider. You know my need. I trust you. And in this time of change, I will ask. I will seek and I will knock. And I'm asking that you would not only provide me the kind of job, the kind of work, that would meet my financial needs, but that you would also use this as an opportunity for me to be a greater blessing to those around me, which brings us to handbasket reality number four. And here it is. It's not about you. When you're in the handbasket where things are really difficult, and yeah, God's you know working on your character and all that, and God's changing some things in your delivery, in the delivery system, just understand that His ultimate de- destination in your life is not always just about you. He wants to work in us so that we can be a blessing to others. That's the way God works. And it was that way in this story. It's a great story because God not only provides for Elijah, but in the way that God provided for Elijah, He saved the life of a widow who had nothing left except one meal and her son. Now, we don't understand really what it means to not have anything. We think we do because we've had times, all of us, when we've had less, sometimes severely less. 
But in their culture, there was no welfare system. If you were a widow, you were on your own. She didn't have family around that were going to take care of her. She was an outsider to the faith. So she didn't have the synagogue, the church, whatever. She didn't have all those things available to her. When she said to him, when she said to Elijah, hey, I'm down to this one last meal, then we're going to die, that was not hyperbole. That was the truth. So Elijah goes to this place in Sidon, and it's a foreign city to him, and somehow, I don't know how this works, but somehow he knew when he saw this woman, he knew that that was the woman that God had told him about. And he said, please fetch me some water and a cup. That doesn't sound like much of a request, but remember, there's very little water to be had. So right there, that's a big thing. And without hesitation, this woman goes to a complete stranger, a, a foreigner, which was a much bigger deal to them than maybe it would be to us. And she's going to get him the water. And as she's walking toward the well, he shouts out, and while you're at it, give me a bite of bread too. And she stops. And she turns and says, you know what? Here's the truth, what we just said. I don't have anything to give you. we got this much left. We're going to mix it. We're going to make one little cake. My son and I are going to eat it, and then we're dead. That's it. And he's over there asking for bread, you know, with a, whoa, goodness, with a little bit of, of, of uh, cream cheese and, and mango jelly on it. I mean, this guy, is, you know, it, it, it seems kind of audacious. I think, well, it just almost seems rude, you know. But he asks it, and why can he ask it? Because he knows what the Lord told him. The Lord said, there's a widow that I have, have means past tense, right? I have commanded to feed you. So apparently, this woman had already had God tell her that there was going to be this guy coming in. That she was supposed to, I didn't know how she understood God. I don't know, but, but she did. God had told her this. So when Elijah says this, he's not asking for anything selfishly. He is asking to help her be obedient to God. It is an amazing thing to me. But Elijah came to understand that his need went beyond himself. And you see how the miracle walks out that when this woman is obedient to the Lord, not just to Elijah, and he says, feed me first, he was saying, be obedient to the Lord. And the reality was that out of that, her needs and her family's needs were met continually. Church I pastored for many years, I didn't like to talk to people about money very often because I think people have an idea about the church that we're all about trying to get money from people. That is, that is the farthest thing from my heart that you could ever imagine. And I know Terry's heart, same thing. In fact, you've been extraordinarily generous in this church. I know that you have, but I know your reputation as givers. But if I have failed anywhere in my ministry, is that I failed to, to, to remember that money issues can become big issues in people's lives. And if this stuff is really true, then I'm not doing anybody a favor when I skirt away from verses like this or, or that say, give and it shall be given to you. So we want to reverse it. Once I get a bunch, then I'll give it. No. This woman 
learn to give out of her sacrifice, not out of her supply of abundance. And look what God did. Because God wanted to work in her as well. And it's not limited to money stuff. It's about the giving of our time, which in many ways is more precious to us, right, than even our money. Because you can't reclaim that. Once you use your time, it's, people say, if I just had more time, I, I, you know, they're waiting for the day when they're going to have more time. What, like your clock's going to have tw- uh, tw- 25 hours in a day instead of 24? I mean, I grew up in the time that we had all these, these, these time-saving devices. When, when the PCs came out, everybody had them. We were going to save all this time. We didn't save any time at all. Expectation levels went up. Workloads went up. We're never going to get any more time. Time is a precious commodity. And sometimes the Lord says to us, give of your time. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all the other things will be added as well. That really means put God first in your life. Whether it be your finances, whether it be your time, whether it be your love, whether it be your emotions, whether it be your energy, whatever it is, put him first. And then just watch and see what he does and that's never tested as much as it is when you're in the handbasket that woman was in the handbasket and God did a miracle but that miracle started with the test of her obedience let's bow our heads we're going to pray together Lord I want to thank you for this amazing congregation Lord uh, I just love them and uh I know that you've done beautiful things in their lives. I know that every person in this room has a story. I know that you're writing uh, the next chapter in their lives individually, and you're writing the book of this church together, and you're doing beautiful things. And Lord, I know that sometimes there are those seasons where we're in the handbasket, and it's not a lot of fun. We may laugh about it, which is probably therapeutic for us, but it's not a lot of fun. And yet, Lord, there are things that you do in us that I'm convinced can't happen anytime else. It can't happen anytime else than when we're in that difficult season. So, Lord, for those who are in it now, Lord, I pray that you would draw them closer to you than they've ever been. And they would draw from your well of grace and strength and faith. Bless them. Bless their pastors. Bless their leaders. In Jesus' holy name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Pastor. Thank you, my friend.